Welcome to the Adventures in Arting podcast. This is episode number 78, In a Learning Phase, recorded on May 13th, 2018. My name is Julie Bayfan Balzer, and with me is my co-host, Eileen Schubalzer. Hi, Mom. Hi, Julie. It's Mother's you? Day. You must have called to say Happy Mother's Day to me. Thank Why you. Why do I have to call to say Happy Mother's Day to you when I'm seeing you in like two hours? When I can say to you in person, Happy Mother's Day and kiss you and hug you and all that good stuff. Good point. Exactly. Only my brother has to call because he isn't here. Get it? See? I'm here and I'm going to see you. So I'm the good child. We're always playing out the good child, bad child. It's a contest. Well, you make it that way. You said to me earlier today that he was the good child. I guess I know how to pull your strings. I guess you still do. I'm going to be 75 and you're still going to pull my strings. From the anyway, grave. Yes. Yeah, great. Great. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, so I thought that today we could talk a little bit about classes and being a student and taking classes. And I titled today's podcast in a learning phase because I do think that uh, there's a cycle to making art and it's not always about the act of making things. Sometimes, you know, in that cycle, you're in a learning phase. Sometimes you're in a like high productivity phase. Sometimes you're in a, you know, business of art phase, like whatever it is. But I do think that things, at least for me, tend to go in a kind of cycle. And right now I'm definitely in a learning phase. Some of that is by choice, which is to say I set out with a goal for 2018 that this would be a year of quilting, which is an area in which I don't have an extraordinary amount of expertise. And so... I've been taking a lot of classes. I've just signed up for a lot of classes. And so I find that by by default, shall we say, I am therefore in a learning phase. Okay, we, let's talk about it this way. Well, each class, let's talk about why you did sign up for it initially. What is it that attracted you to use some of your valuable time? And then let's talk about what you expected, what happened, uh, and what kind of insights you got, not just into the actual technique or whatever, but into teaching or your learning style or whatever. Mm, Okay, so let's start with, I took a paper piecing class, which was something of an impulse to do. So paper piecing uh, is a very sort of, is a quilting technique in which you can get very, very exact results. Okay, so that your points match up perfectly, so that, you know, everything's really clean. Um, And I, my own guild had been offering a class by this teacher. um, And I went to see her lecture. And after her lecture, I was like, I do not want to take that class. (laughs) And, And the reason I didn't want to take the class is after hearing her speak, I was like, she talks about quilting in a way that is not how I think about quilting. And generally speaking, I'll tell you this which is you could take a paper piecing class from five different teachers and have five totally different experiences with the technique. Because I think it's important to find teachers who teach the way that you think or the way that you learn. Otherwise, it's somewhat counterproductive. So I had made up my mind not to take this class and the class came and went and people made some nice things. I saw some of the results, you know, shared online, et cetera. 
which was great. Um, but it was just not for me. And then by happenstance, I uh, found that uh, a, a local other guild near me was offering the same class by the same teacher. And this time I was interested. And this is literally like a month apart. And the reason that I decided I was interested at this point was because I had just finished making my first modern quilt at the Modern Quilt, uh, Boston Modern Quilt Retreat. And I had tried to teach myself paper piecing and I ran into some problems. So I thought maybe it would be good if I took a class from a person then and uh, figured out how to do it. The short version of the story is I was right. I shouldn't have signed up for the class. It wasn't for me. She wasn't the right teacher for me. Um, it has nothing the, to do with being a good or bad teacher. Which has nothing to do yeah. with being a good or bad teacher. She wasn't the right teacher for me. Uh, the, the longer version of the story is what I did take away, because I do think you can take away things from any class, are A, my tailmate was very nice and very friendly and very enthusiastic. And she really, really struggled in class. And... I took away from that the following, which is if the teacher had made it over to where we were sitting, she would have realized how much that student was struggling, you know, and conversely, if the student had more actively pursued the teacher the way that some other students were and there were therefore monopolizing her time, she would have also had a better experience. And I had this sort of moment where I was like, you know what, as a student, I need to active, not be embarrassed or shy or whatever, and I need to actively ask for what I need, you know, and that you have to be a little bit selfish when you're a student. And as a teacher, I need to remember the discipline of truly making it to every spot in the room and truly making sure that everyone is, you know, with it. So I thought that was actually a good lesson to take away. Um, you know, and I think I not sure that I, I mean, I think I picked up a few little like tips and hints to make things easier and to make some workflow stuff easier and I had fun, but overall, you know, that was another one about trust your instincts about what's right for you and what isn't. Is it possible really, that pa paper piecing itself may not be for you? No, I actually, I enjoyed the paper piecing and I think that there's, um, the way that I want to use it, you know what I mean? I, I enjoy like designing okay. something and then you have to figure out, because the thing is when there's a traditional block, you know how it goes together because people have been doing it for years. The idea behind paper piecing is you can just in cray cray and you can actually make it work, you know what I mean? If you just sort of plan out how it goes. So the, I don't have a problem with the technique. I just... I, this woman is very methodical, very organized, very perfectionist, very, very all those things. And I am just not that type of person. And things that require you to be that way make me crazy. Okay. And I would say, I don't think that paper piecing necessarily needs to be that way. But I took away some design ideas from her. I took away lots of fun stuff. So it was a good class in that sense. Um, but, you know, I probably didn't need to take it. Because I don't think I came away. I don't think I, I mean, I'm sort of backtracking around here because I think you can always learn something from any class. And I don't think I came away with anything major. But, you know, I had a good time. And who knows? Maybe in five years, I'll be like, that was the class that changed everything for me. Uh, the next class I taught was a thread painting class. 
Tell us um, what thread painting is. So thread painting is sort of what it sounds like, which is the idea of painting with thread with your sewing machine. So you're basically doing free motion stitching and creating these uh, sort of impressionistic painted sections. And most of the time people use thread painting to create semi-realism. So you're, you know, thread painting a picture of a cat and the, and you take a step back and you're like, oh my God, it's my cat. And there's the texture of my cat's hair and there's the whiskers and the nose. And like, it's, it's all that kind of stuff. I, I'm interested in thread painting. I mean, A, it has the word painting in it, which is mm -hmm. always interesting to me. Um, but B, because I'm always interested in texture and I'm always interested in, in uh, sort of learning more techniques. So this was a two-day class and uh, the woman who taught it does beautiful work. Again, all these teachers do such beautiful work. Um, and she gave us some exercises to do the first day, which I did. And then we started it in our projects and I really enjoyed it. And then the majority of the second day was dedicated to just working time. And if you had questions, you could ask her, but it was pretty much no instruction and all working time. Um, that's one of your pet peeves. That's usually. one of my pet peeves. I hate that. I feel like I can work at home. <laughs> and if I'm paying money, I want there to be instruction. Now, interestingly, I taught a class recently in which a student, in which I gave people more working time than I normally do, and a student remarked positively how much she liked that there was a little more working time, so she didn't feel quite so mm -hmm. like she was having techniques thrown at her time after time. But this is what I mean about finding a teacher who teaches the way that you like to learn. I like to learn with having the most amount of information humanly possible thrown at me. And then having a small amount of working time to sort of figure that out. And then having more ideas thrown at me and then working it out and more ideas thrown at me and working it out. And so that's the way I teach most of the time. Um, so for me, having an entire day of a two-day class that's just dedicated to working time was not my favorite. Can it but, be that part of that? Not all of it, but part of it is because you are a working artist. Therefore, when you go home, you have your dedicated space. You have the time. I mean. Oh, yeah, definitely. As I opposed think that, to someone from absolutely. whom this is like a vacation from their other life. And they really are trying to squeeze in as much as possible in terms of doing. I would say there are a couple of reasons I hate it. And, and you're absolutely right. It's because I do not have a child at home who's demanding my attention the second I walk through the door. Because I, you know, do, this is my job and I can go home the next day and do, you know, if I want to make my schedule work so that I can do this. I would also say it's partially because I work very quickly. Mm -hmm. So I can usually get further than almost anybody in class you know, in a short period of time, and then they need the working time to catch up, you know. Why and do you so think you say, work so quickly? I would say I work quickly because I don't think about it. It's a learned skill, which is to say, so many, many years ago when I was first scrapbooking, I joined in this challenge, which was a layout a day, doing a scrapbook a layout a day. And at the time, it would take me like, four to eight hours to do a single scrapbook oh, page. 
decision making, yeah. right? Agonizing over where to put this brad and what size the photo should be and how it should da da da. And the doing the layout a day, you can imagine, you can't spend four to eight hours a day, every single day, doing a scrapbook page. Well, I mean, you can, but you just have to kill yourself at that point. But anyway. So I just started to get faster and I made a lot of ugly things and I made a lot of fantastic things and I just started to find like what are the shortcut go-to things that I do that I know always look good and blah, blah, blah. And I went through that cycle a couple times. I did that challenge a couple times and I can tell you that it just made my decision-making process faster and it has now translated into a lot of other things, whether it's sewing or painting or anything else it's when you the the thing that takes people a long time is the decision making and i think what happens for me in class in particular is and i say this to my students all the time i'm like listen class is the time to mess up dramatically because you have a teacher there to help you if you're not here to mess up you know what's the point of me being here to help you so i always think well i'm just going to do whatever and if it's wrong or bad then the teacher's here and they'll fix it <laughs> Whether that's fair or not, I don't know, but that's my theory about it. So I just sort of go. I think that decision making is part of why I take so long to pack and find it agonizing because it's the deciding what to bring and what not to bring that kills me. When I'm packing to go home, it doesn't take me almost any time at all because you just right. stuff it all in. Yeah, I think it's the decision-making process always that makes it so hard to make so many decisions and that you agonize over. And like, I, you know, I had a conversation with the teacher, Pat Polly, who I just took this five-day class with. And one of the things that we discussed is I said to her, it's easier to teach people a technique than it is to teach people how to loosen up. Because we were talking about why, you know, people do certain things, teach things a certain way that they do. And I said, you know, it's a teaching people how to loosen up, how to relax, how to make decisions quickly. I don't know. I wouldn't even know where to begin to teach that. That is one of those things that you only get, I think, from forcing yourself to do it over and over again and realizing that the consequences of of not agonizing over decisions are, are just not a big deal. It's just not a big deal. But you can't know that until you know it, no matter how often somebody tells you. And I think the whole theory behind like art journal every day and a whole theory behind the 100 day project and the whole theory behind all these things that are daily, carve December, is that I'm telling you, you can carve a stamp in 15 minutes by the end of carve December without even thinking about it because it's just that easy because the decision making is just like here, you know, there's going to be another stamp tomorrow. This is today's. There's going to be another stamp tomorrow. This is today's. And the funny thing about that project, actually, is that usually I get stuck on the last day because that's the first day where there's not going to be another stamp the next day. And I'm always like, oh, wait, it's the last day. This is the one that has to be amazing. And then I that that stamp always takes me forever longer because I'm agonizing over what it's going to be where the other ones I'm just like, whatevs, whatevs, whatevs. I think it's the nature of the beast to a certain extent. It kind of reminds me of, uh, you know, the process of getting older to a certain extent. 
um, and it's not universally true, but I think in a sort of meta way it is, is the process of doors closing. Like at a certain point, you, you different possibilities close down to you as the years tick by, right? As your responsibilities increase, as your obligations increase, as, you know, and it's like those moments when you see people who are 18, 19, 20, you know, in college and they're frozen by so many possibilities. What am I going to be? What can I be? What am I going to be? And like the advice you get from people in their 40s and 50s is just take a step in some direction. It doesn't have to be the right one, you know, but there's this hysteria that if you don't major in the right thing, if you don't take the right class, if you don't whatever, that your life is over. But, you know, I would say 75% of the people I talk to are doing things that have nothing to do with what they majored in in college and they're very happy, you know, and I think we get frozen at all stages of life and in art making obviously about decisions decisions are hard let me just say on behalf of aging yes uh, do you that, speak for aging yeah let me speak for aging for one time which is that in addition to certain things being closed off actually there are new opportunities but you have to not have closed them off in your mind. You have to be open to the possibility of something that you never considered you might do. And that can be extremely rewarding, you know? And mm -hmm. I'm the person who went to college and we didn't have computers and, you know, our house didn't have internet when you were growing up. And that whole world, I, I remember I told someone, maybe it was you, that when I finally learned all how to use a computer and all that stuff, it was as if I had opened a door in my house that I hadn't known was there and discovered an entirely new room. And I think you can continue to have that experience as you age, as long as you are open to learning, being bad at something when you start and having to rethink some habits. I agree wholeheartedly. And I would say that, you know, oftentimes when they talk about confidence in women and how like in your 20s, you know, most women are somewhat insecure in your 30s, a little less in your 40s, you know, a lot less. And then I, I hear from a lot of women that in your 50s and 60s, you reach the sort of I don't give a hoot phase where you don't care what other people think of you. And you're not so tied into those things and you start to have a lot of freedom. And that too is about, um, you know, a letting go in order to make new decisions. Letting go of the pressure of what, of caring about how other people view you. Well, you have no control over how other people view you. You only have control over your own life. Yeah. So why spend all your time worrying about something you don't have any control over because social media exists mom because people are like i don't know it's true it's true somebody used to say all the time that you can, you only have control over how nobody can make you feel a certain way if you feel sad or you feel bad that's because that's your decision to feel that way based on whatever they did they're going to do what they're going to do and you have a choice about how you're going to feel about it and i was like wow that's cold and hard and, but I do think there's some truth in there as well. Anyway, I feel like we've gotten really off topic. Off as topic. Let's go back. Yes. Anyway, so uh, I just took this five-day class from Pat Polly at ProChem. 
Now, um, I would say in the case of all of these three classes uh, that we're talking about today, these are classes I took because the topic interested me and I actually had almost no knowledge of the teacher before. And I do think that classes where you know a lot about the teacher before you go in are a totally different experience. And well, maybe let's we'll talk, talk about, about that. that. Well, so, you know, I, I have taken hero worship classes, which is people whose work you worship, people who you think are amazing, and they could be teaching, you know, how to translate Sanskrit into Flemish, and you'd be like, I'm there. That sounds awesome. Because you just want to be around them, you know? Sign me up for that. Exactly. Um, and, you know, those kind of classes, I think those are the moments when you show up in class and you're like, what do I want out of this class? I just want to be in this room and have this experience. And I think either the person lives up to your expectations of who they're going to be or they don't. And that's a pretty simple, almost binary result. I think um, in the classes you take where you're interested in the topic – a lot of times, that one, you usually judge a little more, I would say, flexibly. Because then it's like a question of, did you gain the knowledge that you were looking for? Did you enjoy the class? Did you, you know, there's just a longer spectrum of questions to uh, answer, did you enjoy this, did you not, to because it's not quite so focused singularly on did I have a good experience with the teacher? I think it's do you feel you are, you know more today than you did yesterday? Well, I think I mean, that's with any class. Right, but I mean, I think that's really important to me is mm -hmm. if I feel I gleaned anything, then I feel it's a positive experience, even if the class itself may not have been totally positive. Well, you're a better person than I because I would say well, it's I would I would say it's close to impossible not to glean some new knowledge from any class that you take no matter how terrible it is. I mean, you really have to be like lying in a hole refusing to listen to anything to never take a single idea away, right? Right, but you have to not, you have to close off the, the part of you that's saying, I didn't get what I wanted or what I intended from this experience, therefore it was a failure. You have to look and see, but did I get something else? It's like yesterday, you and I went and we looked at, what, six, seven mm -hmm. open houses, and in the end, no house had everything or was exactly right, and there, you can say, oh, what a failure. We spent an entire Saturday rainy afternoon tromping through all these houses. Or you can say, but actually I learned something about what I'm looking for. I opened up the door to maybe I'm looking for, could be looking for a different style of house. I mean, that's knowledge. You know, you're very Pollyanna today, Mom, and because I it's Mother's Day, I'm going to let it slide. I don't know what happened to my mean, sarcastic mother, but... I'm going to accept this this new sunshiny you and we'll see how it goes. I mean, I think I think the thing with classes is you always learn something and I think that is a positive. But I do think that there are bad classes and I do think that there are bad teachers and I do think that there are bad experiences and I think those things are all okay, but I think what you have to do is then take away a learning from the badness of it, not just be grumpy about it. 
which is to say, why was that a bad experience for me? What is it that I didn't like about that teaching style or whatever? And this is the whole thing about, which does relate to the houses in terms of, you know, knowing what you like and what you don't and what you might be looking for, is that if I can say, you know, when a teacher teaches in a way in which everybody in class has to make exactly what she makes, I don't have a good experience with that because I don't enjoy that kind of process. So then for me in my mental Rolodex, I'm like, you know, be very careful and stay away from this teacher or this type of teacher, or I don't like it when there's a ton of working time in a class. So I want to read the class description carefully and understand like what's happening each day, you know what I mean? And what to expect, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, anyway, this class with, with Pat Polly at ProChem, I wanted to take a class at ProChem for a long time. It's a, uh, service design company out in Fall River, Massachusetts, and they sell all kinds of things for service design from soy wax to dyes of all kinds to decolorant through, you know, bottles. And I have bought paint and other supplies for fabric from them. Uh, they ship all over the country. They're very well known and a lot of very high profile surface design people come through Fall River. Um, to teach there. And so I had wanted to take a class there for a long time because I've wanted to understand dyeing, which is a totally different process from painting, or so I thought. And so I decided to sign up for this five-day class that was on printing with dyes. And I thought I will, this way I'll learn all the technical stuff about dyes. So the interesting thing is, as it turned out, Pat is not a very, um, technical dyer and she would be the first person to say it she said it multiple times in class she's not the person who does the technical stuff she doesn't know any of that stuff she doesn't do it any of the ways that you're supposed to she doesn't you know blah 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 on and on and on and so on the one hand it was a great experience because I feel very free in terms of not worrying about you know how the dyeing technically has to be and not getting obsessed with if I have like a teaspoon of this and if it's batched properly and yada, yada, yada. So that was great. On the other hand, I still do have a huge lack of knowledge in that area that I was specifically looking for. But thinking about my personality type, I'm probably not interested in taking a class where for five days you dye you know, swatches of fabric in increments, tiny increments to change the color minutely, which would give you an incredible technical knowledge, but I'm not sure that that's my happy fun place, but who knows, maybe it is. Um, but you know, that class was one day of, or two days of pretty intense instruction with, you know, some demoing and, and uh, doing stuff. Then on the third day, she did something I really liked where she gave everybody in class a personal challenge. So it was a challenge tailored for you on something that you should work on. And then the last two days were working time. Um, and you know, I managed to, so on the last day I ended up, the only thing I ended up doing was laundry because I just didn't want to have to do it here uh, at my apartment because washing out dyed fabric is a very lengthy process that involves like cold buckets and hot buckets and 
soaking and on and on and on and on and on and I just don't really have the space here plus I have white carpet in my apartment so it was good to do it there which was great and I will just say that Procam is a beautiful setup for wet work and they actually rent Monday through Friday for uh, an entire day from I think it's like 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. you can um, come and use the space for $30 wow which I think is a pretty good deal pretty amazing deal uh, as long as they obviously, as long as they don't have a class going on there, but you know they've got tables and sinks and washing machine and places to hang and dry things and just you know a cement floor, so you don't have to worry about all that stuff. So no reason to set up a wet studio when you can go there and do it. Um, but the nice thing was, uh, you know, all the techniques that I've used with paint, screen printing, stamping, stenciling you know, color mixing, like all that stuff translated directly into using the dyes. And so that was both exciting and confidence building because it made me think, you know, I actually could segue into working with fabric dyes fairly easily because I don't have the learning curve of not understanding color mixing. I don't have the learning curve of not understanding how to, you know, use screen prints or how to create screen prints or how stencils work or where, how to, how to make a stamp or any of that stuff. Like I have that knowledge base already and the dye part of it is, uh, I can read the label on the dye jar now and <laughs> I can do that. So all of that feels really good. And I, I will say that I enjoy a longer format class because I feel like I get more by sleeping on it and then coming in the next day. Mm -hmm. I will also say that the problem with a longer format class is that if it's not some, if it's not your thing, if it's not something that you enjoy, then you're really stuck. <laughs> then you're really stuck for quite a while with it. Um, so that's just a choose more carefully kind of moment. I'm about to go on a two-week class. Wow. About which I have heard nightmare stories, and I'm a little worried that it may not be my bag, that it may not be my thing. I'm sure I will learn a lot. I'm sure I will glean a lot from it. But I am also prepared for the worst. It's a huge commitment. It's a huge commitment. It's a huge commitment financially. It's a huge commitment time-wise. It's a huge commitment in so many ways. So I off to the wilds. I'm going of off to Ohio. the wilds of Ohio, exactly. To the Crow Barn to see Nancy Crow. And I have not yet ordered my 96 yards of fabric. So I'm going to get oh off this podcast God. and get on that because I don't think it'll arrive in time otherwise. Because I have to leave on Thursday. Friday, Thursday, Friday, Friday, whatever day it is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I'm definitely in a learning phase. I also made a decision, which I think was a good one, which is I've been taking a, a lot of classes. Like all of these classes that I've mentioned have been within a short period of time. I'm a little bit class overwhelmed. Um, and I'm class overwhelmed, not because I don't love learning, which I do. I'm class overwhelmed because for the most part, they haven't been classes that have made me go home and do that technique. They haven't been classes that have been things that I've brought into my 
repertoire. Daily practice. Yeah. And well, so, you, you think any of that has to do with because a lot of it has been quilt and fabric related? I think some that's of an area you've developed as yeah, much as others. I think some of that is true. Um, and I think, I think a lot of that is probably true. I think some of it is also that some of these classes have been very, um, very geared towards beginners. And I think of myself as a beginner, but I think it may be time to start thinking of myself as not a beginner. And one of the reasons I wanted to take these classes at the Crowbar on the two week class is because those are specifically not for beginners. And I was very nervous about that, but I'm feeling more and more confident that I do actually maybe know what I'm doing some of the time. And I could actually be considered not a beginner. So I'm gonna try and that and see how that is. Um, but you know, I find myself sometimes feeling like I'm going over territory that I already know, which is always good to review, but wondering what the new, uh -huh. what's the new, what's the level past. And also I think I've, I'm becoming more interested in some of the intellectual questions around some of these things. It's not just that I want to know the technique of how this works, but I want to I want to know the artistic reasons that you're doing this. How are you how are you thinking about it? I found myself asking Pat a million questions during the week that I think were tough to answer. Like give us a few. So I was saying, you know, when you're creating fabric, because she does these beautiful quilts that are basically made from two pieces of fabric. So within each of the two pieces of fabric, she to my eye at least, is very clear to get like a variety of pattern, a variety of color, a variety of density, a variety, of, you know. So I said to her, I was like, well, how much thought or planning are you putting into these pieces of fabric or are you just at the end, you know, grabbing the pieces of fabric that fit this model? You know, like, is it, it's sort of a chicken and the egg question. And? And I think she answered a different question when she answered it because her aunt, when she was talking about it, she talked more about sort of um, that she, the fabric that she keeps for herself is fabric that has something unusual in it. Fabric that something has, that has something of her hand in it, which is a useful answer about some things, but it's not an answer to the question that I was asking. And I think I danced around some other similar questions like that. And I think, you know, the same is true in the paper piecing class and the thread painting class. You know, I am interested in those techniques, but I am also very, very interested in understanding some of the bigger ideas of the whys. Why are you putting thread painting in this part of the quilt and not in another? What is the, and, and part of that is because I think, and I try to do this when I teach my classes, is for you to be able to go home and do this, for you to be able to take this, you have to understand the why. It's the old, like, don't give a man a fish, which is when you teach somebody a technique, that's basically what you're doing, is you're giving them a fish. If you wanna teach them how to fish, then they have to actually intellectually understand why they're doing what they're doing, you know, and why those choices are being made. And I think that that is something that I'm, I'm always searching for when I'm in a class and I, I haven't really found it lately. And maybe that's my own fault for not working hard enough to find those answers. 
but I think it's probably because I'm also looking for some of that in my work right now where I'm trying to think about going beyond like something that's pretty or something that's interesting or something that's visually arresting like I'm trying to think a lot more now about what I'm actually saying what is my who am I as an artist and that's beyond like what my work looks like it's mm -hmm. what is the what is the message I'm trying to get across what is the story that I'm trying to tell with what I make and I don't know that I know that yet and I think that's why I'm on this sort of quest for answers I need some answers well you'll have to find them yourself that's the worst answer, Mom. <laughs> You're the worst mom. I'm saying that right on Mother's Day. Thank I you. Why should Mother's answer. Day be different than any other day? Exactly. No, I mean, I know. That's the thing. The answer to all these questions is I have to find it myself. I have to figure out myself. And, and there's no shortcut to it. I have to do the work. Do the work every day. And the answer may change. Yeah. Day to day, week to week, year to year. I hope it does because to be the same exact person every single day, every single year would be really boring. It would be that you're never growing, you're never changing, you're never evolving, you know, and I hope, I hope that I am, that I'm constantly moving. You never know what it's going to be. Anyway, that's my report. What do you think? Other questions, other thoughts? It's a good report. I think also, when you look to take classes, I know there are some classes where it's a matter of being able to find the time, have it be scheduled on a calendar date that works for you, and you've long wanted to take it. I know you've tried several times to take courses uh, up in the Hudson River Valley at various places, and it's never worked out, or they didn't get enough people, or whatever. And then there's something that just sort of comes across your comes across your screen and you say, oh, I, I might like to take that. Well, how do you think people how do you think people respond to your classes that you put out there? What are you know, they looking for from you? I don't know. I don't know. I think that um, I have a lot of repeat students who I enjoy seeing who say that they come because they know that they're going to learn something even if the topic isn't one that they're like super excited about or whatever and that's the old you know you come for the teacher because you know you're going to take something away um and then i have people who come because they very specifically want to learn a technique or they've seen me do okay. something and they want to know how to do that and i hope that they get that um I think that if I could understand the magic formula of what people were looking for in classes, that I would be a millionaire. Um, but I think well, what I try to do when I teach is I try to teach the kind of classes I would like to take. And for some people, I think I am probably not their teacher because I like to talk a lot about the whys. I like to break down and really understand the supplies and the information. And for some people, they don't care. They're just there to have fun. And they just want to make something pretty. And I am I am never going to teach you. <laughs> I'm sorry to say this. I'm never going to teach you how to make something pretty. Because I'm always going to push you to make something that looks like you. And that is something that comes from you. And is something, you know, that's that's interesting. I know I'm not supposed to say that on the podcast. But it's it's a good word. 
Well, let's talk about the difference between the way you plan your online classes and your in-person classes, because I know that it's a different approach. Yeah, you know, it's so funny to me, by the way, that online classes are cheaper than in-person classes because they're much better value. Like, you can usually watch them over and over and over again for the rest of your life you have, you know, a ton, it's usually a ton of content and stuff that like, there's no way you could cover in a six hour in-person class. Um, and you can really do them at your leisure in your pajamas. So I think when I'm teaching online classes, I'm trying to think about, um, teaching something, uh, in a comprehensive way in a way that I answer the question before you can think of it. In person, somebody has a question they can ask you, right? And online, people can ask you questions, but it's different, and people tend not to, right? So I'm always trying to anticipate the questions, anticipate the problems, and to really, like, cover a topic from the left, from the right, from the bottom, from the top, so that it's very complete. In my in-person classes, I'm always trying to structure it in a way so that you are learning from your fellow students because what's the point of coming to an in-person class, right? If you're not actually learning from the other people with you. And I'm also, it's a lot of time management. Like one of my students recently in this, my sketching class said to me, oh, I really appreciate how you really are good at timing your classes and yeah, you know, yada, yada, yada. And you know, it is true like, you have unlimited time online, but in person, you've really got to make sure, you know, okay, you have four hours left to do this. Okay, now you have two hours left to do this. Okay, now, you know, and if there's one problem student who's having trouble, you've got to then figure out how to move everything around so that other people don't feel held back, but that person doesn't feel left behind. It's a, it's a much more artful process. And, you know, online, I, I think online classes are easier <laughs> frankly, because you just don't have to worry about that art in any way. You just sort of talk to the camera and go. In-person classes are sort of like a live theatrical performance. Yeah, they are. They are. Whereas yeah. online is more like... It's uh, canned in some ways. Yeah, and you can do it again if it doesn't work right. the first you time. It. You can redo it. Exactly. The redo button. But having said that, you take a lot of online classes as well. I mean, you've taught yourself to do so many things from online classes. Yeah, although I guess I think of, like, I do a lot of lynda.com. Learned how to use Illustrator, learned how to use Photoshop, learned how to use InDesign, learned how to use, you know, on and on and on and on and on. Um, I have trouble with online art classes. I have taken a few and they're not for me for the most part this is fascinating i see this is a good point why are they not for you um i don't do them i pay my money and i either don't watch the video or i do watch it but then i don't do it or i do it but only for a few weeks because then i get busy or, I mean, there's just a lot of variations there. I do better when I have to show up somewhere. Why I wish that online classes were good for me because I think it would be a better value. But 
I need the discipline of showing up somewhere. And actually, it's one of the reasons I think I said this, gosh, maybe a year ago after taking some classes at the Museum of Fine Arts that were more like you go, you work, the teacher gives you like two seconds of feedback, you know, where I was like, if I had the discipline to just at home say once a week for six hours, I'm going to do this, you know what I mean? I could get the same result without having to pay the money and schlep here. But the problem is I don't have that discipline and I won't do that. It's like going to the gym. Yeah. For your artistic muscles. Yeah, because like you always said, you went to aerobics for years and years and years. And you always said like it's it was the act of like, you know, going there and having that class and knowing that people expected you. Right. And you but I don't see you doing aerobics at home by yourself. How do you know? Maybe I spend every day. Really? Doing hours of aerobics, which is why I have this incredible body. <laughs> yes, I apologize. Of course, that must be it. That must be it. I always think that your body was made by jelly beans, but you know, that's Don't debatable. Let all my secrets out. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. So online classes, I've I continue to sometimes take them, but they're not for me. Other people love them. And they really work for them. So I also will say this. I have the same thing with YouTube videos. Some people's YouTube videos I like and I can watch them start to finish. Other people I am just fast forwarding and I'm like, shut up, shut up, shut up. You know, I think it's, I think you have to find the teacher who's right for your style. Well, I do notice that when you do videos, you, you don't talk as much as some others. Yeah. And you talk more quickly so that. People are not just sitting there sort of saying, get to the point. People often ask me to slow the videos down and to not go so fast. But I, for me, I cannot, I already feel like sometimes they're not fast enough because I think that the way that I, I feel like the benefit of video is you can stop and rewind. If you miss something, you can pause and go back. As long as you're not missing any steps, that's the beauty of it. It's so it's much harder to fast forward through stuff and worry that you might be missing something as opposed to just rewinding to watch something again if it went by too quickly. So I'm I'm always trying to see if I can get it quicker, faster, tighter, you know, less less junk. You know, one of the things actually that Pat said, which I think is true, is she blogs every single day. And she writes very short blogs. And what she said is after five or six years of writing these very short blogs every day, she's a better writer because she's learned to get rid of the junk. The, you know, that sort of stuff that we all say. And I think the same thing is true about so many things. Gosh, this is a complete back to the beginning, actually, of what we were talking about at the very beginning about, um, you know, getting faster at making decisions, right? which is the discipline of doing anything, whether it's writing or making videos or teaching, is that you do learn to get rid of the junk so that what's left is the good stuff. I think we should stop now that we've made this perfect circle. <laughs> sounds sounds good to me. We, we're learning from ourselves. So um, if you'd like to help the show, you can leave a review on iTunes because that helps other people find the show. And as always, you can find me at ballsordesigns.typepad.com. Do leave us your comments or questions at ballsordesigns.com backslash arting. We'd love to hear from you. And if you tweet about the show, which we hope you will, 
please use the hashtag pound arting podcast. That's A-R-T-I-N-G-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. And thanks so much for listening and subscribing. We'll see you the next time on the Adventures in Arting Podcast.